0: And them watermelons must be at least three feet low <laughs> I'm a sucker for this baseline line And just look at them feet And I know if Papa was here right now The old man would sure be pleased And Papa, if you can hear me We finally got a hold of You're welcome, Neil This is Hell Okie doke (laughs) Manufacturing Descent Since 1996 This is Hell And I gotta thank Richard Norwood For finally Installing our microphones here Instead of just having a C-clamp on the side of a table Holding it in place Which was always kind of Precarious at best So thank you Richard, it looks fantastic in here If you're listening right now, I cannot thank you enough The far right Government of Greek Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis With the full support of the U.S. government and the Biden administration Has unleashed a new special police Force onto universities' campuses That look an awful lot Like the old military junta era Police who used to forcefully Criminalize dissent on campuses across The country during their reign of terror Don't get me wrong, it's not like the United States Only started supporting This policy recently, in reality The U.S. Embassy has been calling for such police since 2006 during the George W. Bush administration. The policy continued through the entirety of the Obama and then the Trump administration and still lingers to this day. But because there is bipartisan support in the U.S. for Greece becoming fascist, as there is for Turkey's march towards fascism as well, the corporate mainstream media here in the U.S. will not be reporting on it due to their practice of only reporting on Whenever the two major parties disagree So you will not be hearing any criticism Of U.S. support for the rise of fascism in Greece Or Turkey for that matter You won't get reports of the intense police brutality That has been committed with impunity Including rape and murder There won't be anything on the nightly news About what appears to be the return of a military dictatorship in Greece A nation that prides itself on being the birthplace of democracy Turns out as long as the West continues to value Business interests over democratic values, profits over people. Neoliberalism in the market may make Greece democracy's gravesite as well. In a few, we will be speaking with Giulio Derrico, co author of the Roar magazine article Resisting Greece's Rapid Descent into Authoritarianism. Giulio co wrote the piece with Giovanni Miranda. Giulio is a nomad currently living in Greece after obtaining a Ph.D. in history in Wales. He works as a translator, cooks in a social kitchen, and writes about cultural histories, migrations, and other things for Are You Serious, Emma, and Agencia X, among others. We want to thank listener George for suggesting we have Giulio and Giovanni's work on the show. I'm your bitter, blind, broke, gap-toothed radio show host, Chuck Mertz. Producing this morning's show is Alex Jerry. Alex... Why the hell are you here and not Jess?
1: Uh, filling in for Jess, who had a bout of insomnia.
0: Ugh, I was having that last night as well. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, I only have to drive a block, and I don't have to drive from the south side, so it's not—it's a lot easier for me. And I think it's downhill from my house to here. So, how was your weekend?
1: Uh, downhill, also.
0: <laughs> I have no idea how my weekend was because, for the life of me, I can't remember. I know I went for a couple of walks at some point. There's. One or two nature centers involved I don't know It's kind of all of a blur So it must have been good But I did stumble upon The 1951 Korean War propaganda movie Called I Want You About being drafted into the military During the Korean War So one of the characters Who's already in the army Is played by the actor Who played Thurston Howell III On Gilligan's Island The character builds airstrips so U.S. warplanes can reach every part of the world. He then explains what the Cold War is, and this is how he explains it. We have to be everywhere in the world, so if they attack us, we are ready. Who knows? They may never attack us. It's not really peace, and it's not really war. But I prefer to war. If you don't mind, Mr. Howell, I'm going to go ahead and say that the U.S. being on a global war footing is going to war. More importantly than any of that, Alex, what is this week's question from hell?
1: This week's question from hell is, what have you been right about this whole time? What have you been right about this whole time?
0: Jim Backus is a horrible actor. That's what I've been.
1: The Greek god? (laughs) No.
0: (laughs) The person with our favorite answer. I wonder if he's related I wonder if that's why he got his name that way. The person with our favorite answer to this week's question from hell wins your choice of whatever This Is Hell swag you want. You can check out all of our merchandise right now by going to thisishell.com and clicking on support. Without you, we got nothing. So thanks to all of you for your support as we are completely listener supported. This is hell. You can leave your answer to this week's question about our Facebook page. You can tweet it to us. You can email it to us. But we have to have your answer By the end of Thursday's show When we are announcing this week's winner Alex will be sharing your answers to this week's Question from Hell following our guest Again, the question from Hell is What have you been right about this whole time? What have you been right about this whole time? Thanks to everyone who went to thisishell.com And clicked on support over the weekend Thanks to Dan H., Ed F., and Kilter Who are now proud owners Of This Is Hell merchandise Thanks Dan, Ed, and Kilter brave enough to be streaming live, dumb enough to be goofy, stupid enough to think that
1: we could be a regular part of your weekly hangover. This is hell. Alex, did you get this week's hangover cure? This week's hangover cure is <laughs> sweet potatoes. And what we promised to be the second to last time we'll be citing the <laughs> healthline.com article the 23 best hangover foods. Sweet potatoes contain contain several nutrients that may help you get over a hangover faster. One cup of cooked sweet potato has over 750% of the daily value, the amount suggested for daily consumption, of vitamin A, 14% of magnesium, and 27% for the potassium. So vitamin A may help fight the inflammation associated with hangovers, while magnesium and potassium are needed to replace what's lost during alcohol consumption. So that makes this week's Hangover Cure sweet potatoes.
0: And the script was screwed up, and you didn't even screw up on the script. So very good. You went right past the mistake there. Thank you very much for covering up for my mistakes. Putting people before profits turns out to be a horrible business model. If you want to help us out. With our horrible business model Of putting you ahead of actually making money You can go to thisishell.com and click on support To find all the ways to help out your friends here At Completely Listener Supported This Is Hell One way you can contribute is by becoming a subscriber To the weekly This Is Hell Patreon podcast Which happens every Friday at 10am Chicago time And this podcast shortly after at the same place All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash thisishell Become a subscriber and you will get immediate Access To over a year of Patreon podcasts It's over a year of content It's like an entire extra year of shows With monologues by me and classic interviews That you cannot find anywhere else online but on Patreon On last Friday's Patreon podcast It was all about death and the 60s As first I talked death and then the bassist for Blondie Discussed the 60s We've all been experiencing a lot more death lately. Thankfully, I still don't know anyone who has died from coronavirus. But still, I've lost my biggest brother, a sister by a different mister, a couple of friends from the bar downstairs. And I almost lost a brother by a different mother the previous weekend. Almost. For those of you who have joined us in the past for This Is Hell events at the bar downstairs, Carrie's Lounge, you have likely met. The bar's proprietor, Pete Valavanis Pete is currently recuperating from a heart attack He suffered two Saturdays ago Pete is alive and improving But he actually died for a moment And thankfully for all of us He came back from death So yeah, with all this dying And near-dying happening around me It was hard not to talk about death And how it can really mess with your head We also played our 2003 interview With Gary Valentine, whose real name is Gary Lockman, which is the name Gary writes under As an author Gary was on to tell us about his then just published book, Turn Off Your Mind, The Mystic 60s and the dark Dark Side of the Age of Aquarius, which follows the 60s from its beginning of love, not war, and ends in the terrifying mass murder by the Manson family. But you can only hear me consider who suffers most from death and what it means for the still living and the bass player from Blondie on how the 60s were like a beautiful dream that devolved into a nightmare by subscribing to This Is Hell on Patreon at patreon.com slash hell If you do become a subscriber, you will also receive a special discount on all of our merchandise you can find right now at thisishell.com when you click on support. And you're going to want to hear this upcoming Friday's Patreon podcast as immediately following Thursday's show, I will be getting the second dose of the coronavirus vaccine. So I'm going to be talking on Friday about all of my conflicting issues I have with these huge pharmaceutical companies that I have to depend on so I can get vaccinated and be cured from a disease. Apparently, maybe, who knows. I've got a lot of issues with Big Pharma jacking me up on whatever is turning me into a raging a-hole at my home. It's got to be that, right? It's just got to be a side effect of the vaccine that have been a jerk lately for the last couple of weeks. Coming up, the right-wing government of Greece is cracking down on dissent on campus with the approval of the United States, the Biden administration, European Union. We'll also have some of your answers to this week's question from hell, which is, what have you been right about this whole time? What have you been right about this whole time? And we'll tell you what's happening the rest of this week here on This Is Hell. Live from the United States where capitalism is the virus, this is... Hell, with the tacit approval of the United States and the European Union, Greece, the birthplace of democracy, now has a government that is doing everything it can to silence any and all political dissent. Here to help us understand what is happening in Greece and how the West yet again seems to be putting... Prophets before people. Giulio Derrico is co author of the Roar magazine article, Resisting Greece's Rapid Descent into Authoritarianism, which he co wrote with Giovanni Miranda. Welcome to This Is Hell, Giulio.
2: Hello, hello Chuck Hello
0: everybody It's great to have you on the show Julio's a nomad Currently living in Greece After obtaining a PhD in history in Wales He works as a translator Cooks in a social kitchen And writes about cultural histories Migrations and other things We want to thank listener George For suggesting we have Giulio And Giovanni's work on the show George wrote to us saying I think this would be a good story For you to cover on This Is Hell Since the fall of the left-wing government Greece has not been getting enough attention The things in this article are pretty shocking So let me ask you a couple of things about what george mentions here and what's in your bio how did you end up in greece what what attracted you to going to and then working in greece
2: uh i arrived in uh, in athens in greece in 2017 uh to collaborate with the project that my partner had started uh, a year before and it was this uh uh that's a community center uh, that was working with migrant communities here in uh, in Athens, and through various permutations, this project has changed and has got different different form, but still active, and we are still part of it. And that's the social kitchen I'm cooking sometimes. So you or, went,
0: so you came to help with the originally with the migration. Situation. Yes. Uh, and then George says here, and he's right about this, since the fall of the left wing government, Greece has not been getting enough attention. Why do you think Greece is no longer on the international media's radar? I mean, when uh, Cyprus was in power and uh, Varoufakis was trying to change the situation with debt in Greece, it was on the nightly news every night. What, why, what explains to you this shift to the far right in Greece not getting any international attention?
2: Well, I think that um, the government of Mitsotakis has been very good at like uh, portraying itself as this very moderate right-wing uh, government. That was like one of the main things Mitsotakis kept saying was that it would bring Greece against in the mainstream of Europe. And, and we are seeing what that means. I think, in this last year and a half, and is not, is not nice. So I think part of this has been that he had the approval of most of the liberal authorities in Europe, and since then, very little has been said on everything that has been happening here, and both on the migrant so-called crisis, the refugee crisis that has been going on for the last five years and according to international news is actually over and as well for all the illiberal policies and like this very dark turn that Greece is taking with repression with series of policy policies that are curta- curtailing individual and collective freedom and workers' rights and students' rights and yeah. So, I think it has been quite a difficult few years.
0: To uh to what degree do you think Mitsotakis has any success at actually portraying himself as a moderate? Do people do he does he have a lot of support from people because they actually believe that this is being a moderate?
2: Um I mean I think he had some uh degree of success at the beginning at the during the uh, running up to the general election in 2019, and part of the reason he won it was because uh, the what Syriza, what Cyprus and Syriza. So the left wing was doing was actually just uh, you know a different way of like accepting austerity policies for the last four years, especially after, uh, since after 2015. So when the referendum for staying in Europe and uh, the failing of Tsipras to uh, negotiate the, the debt with the Troika and with Europe. And so uh, this kind of like paved the way for the arrival of uh, Mitsotakis and this new neo-democratia uh, government. But by now the mask is off. There is no anymore an idea of being a, a moderate government. And especially in the history of Greece, if you want, also like the relationship from with neo democratia that has been the right-wing party since the end of the dictatorship in 1974, with the far right, with the fascist elements in Greece has always been quite ambiguous. and with the uh, disbandment and of uh, Golden Dawn last year, and already in the past few years, um, neo-democratia has taken in a lot of the re- rhetorics and the discourse of the far right, and especially these men for all the social movement and political movements in the country. They have been described that as, uh, dust to be cleaned from the, from the countries, and we've seen how, what, what that means. And for our migrants are like fostering these very racist and xenophobic policies uh, against people on the move, refugees, asylum seekers, migrants, uh, however you want to call them.
0: So was Mitsotakis, was he lying about being a moderate? Did he misrepresent himself during his campaign? Or is it that moderation tends to lean towards right-wing politics?
2: I mean, Europe of these last few years is quite a good example of how moderation, like how moderate conservative, conservative parties are moderate only in, uh, in words. Like we can see mainly in most European country how this firm belief in uh, liberal values are little more than a, a shield against which, uh, to, 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 to shield from like what the actual policies are. And I think he was definitely lying, because he had already like a, a past of mingling with uh, the, let's say, the far right here in the country. But also, like, the whole you know, new democ- the whole neo-democratia has gone towards the right wing since much before the, his arrival.
0: You point out that in the last few months, the ghost of the junta has often been invoked. This became clear in February when the parliament passed a university reform bill, which established the university institution's protection team, a special police force presiding over university campuses 24-7. This is the last step in the tightening of spaces for freedom. A longtime request of the United States embassy in Athens, as shown by leaked cables dating back to 2006. In your opin- in opinion, why would the U.S. Embassy in Athens want a special police force for university campuses? What would be their desire to have that?
2: Well, the, the U.S. Embassy has been uh, very vocal on Greek policies for a long time, and the universities have always represented that uh, Place where once social movement reached uh, a critical mass, they represented a place for like resistance and for freedom of speech, for organizing, and this law does not only do does only create um, a special police force, but only, also cut most of the featured features that made the university these asylum. Before this law in twenty nineteen, as soon as the government won the election, uh, Mitsutaki passed uh, this new law that repealed uh, the asylum law. What does mean that uh, until then police could not enter uh, the, um, uh, the university university grounds without being approved from both the dean of the university and the student body. And this was a legacy of the 1973 uh, protest and uprising that started in the Polytechnic University in Athens against the military junta. And, And this law was in place since 1982. With, like, a bit, it was already been repealed once in 2011, but then was put back in place again. But uh, this was the first step in, like, curtailing this idea that universities are a safe, pa- safe space for uh, resisting uh, the government, the government policies. And how this is done with this last uh, law, uh, one of the things is that now the police. And uh, a new electronic system that will be implemented from next September will make sure that only people that are actually enrolled in the university or work in the university can access university grounds. And that means that no more assemblies can uh, take place in the universities, that no more political movement can see the university as a safe place to discuss to organize and these also touch the activities of the students because with this law uh there are some uh how can i explain in greece uh, people could study for uh, as long as they wanted and now instead there is like Uh, a series of measures that that, uh, reduce the number of students in general, attacking exactly the students that are uh, staying in university too long. That means students that work while they study. And also students, uh, it would be more difficult to access university after high school.
0: So where uh, where yeah. where can uh, where can the opposition right now, where can it organize and protest? If it can't organize on university campuses and university campuses have played such a role in dissent in the past in Greece, where can protests go now?
2: Eh, that's a good question. I mean is, this law that passed in, uh, in February has started a big wave of protests. And in Thessaloniki, in Athens, in Patra, in uh, in Crete, more or less wherever there is, there was a a large campus a university, there have been uh, big protests with buildings being occupied, and and this kind of also started a new wave of protests that like intersected with other protests for uh, the police brutality and. Uh, Another other um, for migrant solidarity and people are organizing when they can in the streets there are some recently very recently last week uh, a new building has been uh, taken in the center of the city here in Athens by a uh, migrant solidarity collective and people are just reinventing in a way uh the the modalities like adapting to a uh, uh, a repression that is taking, is taking new and much more scarier forms. So,
0: uh, how much of a threat is student organizing to the government of Prime Minister Mitsotakis? Is, I mean, I know that these, uh, the ways in which he's trying to repress this dissent are brutal. But to what extent is he possibly correct that if he did allow student organizing and protests to continue, that they could topple his government? How precarious is his control of power?
2: Uh, I think he has uh, gained quite a lot of consent of, of consensus in the first uh, since the beginning of the pandemic, but this is starting to change in the last couple of months there are rumors of maybe coming elections after after the summer. And definitely uh it is like the adding up of like police brutality that in its last few months have reached level unseen levels that were unseen before these attacks on university. Also the attack on like the hunger striker Kofundinas as and in this moment there is a big struggle within the health system in Athens that is at the verge of collapsing and the government has constantly failed to uh, invest in the in the health health system here in the country and now we're seeing in we're seeing what it means with the highest number of uh, the COVID Epidemic since the beginning of the twenty twenty since March, uh, and I think at the moment his position is a bit uh, unsteadier than before, and obviously, Corte like attacking all the um, all the resistance to the to the government and to the to its policies is the way this uh, Mitsotakis sees. Uh, as a defense for his for his
0: future. You were just saying that the health system in Greece is on the verge of collapsing, and right now, you know, during the pandemic here in the states, it's had a huge impact on universities. With many, you know, have students having far fewer, uh, far fewer students are on campus. There's far fewer uh, teachers. There's more social distancing. The people are learning online. So how have the pandemic and policing combined affected campus life? Is there even a student presence on campus because here in the United States there isn't much of one. And it would seem with a health system collapsing, with a pandemic going on, with the policing of university campuses that the university would be kind of an empty place.
2: Well, it's not by it's uh, it's not random that this law has been introduced this year and it is exactly counting on the fact that the um, university campuses will be empty till, till next September. And so that what the government hoped was that as it had happened during this past year, that a series of measures have been introduced with uh, using the framework of COVID-19 almost as an, uh, as an excuse, and that they would be introduced without a without a response. What has changed in these last few months is that even that, even now the campuses are are closed. Students have taken to the to the street and have taken to to the very campuses to to protest, even without like a, a in person university activity going on.
0: And you point out, you describe how the result is a military occupation of universities, evidently considered a den of dangerous opposition. What can be said, what can be learned, and when and how to protest are now decided by people in uniform. You mentioned how, you know, this is a military occupation, but the, this is being done by police. So, how do Greek police differ in any way from the military?
2: Uh, uh, Greek police differ from the military way and way less year after year. And with that, what I mean, I mean that in the last few years, even before this new government, but since the very beginning of this new century, uh, Greek police has been uh, increased in numbers and in uh, corps and greek police is already one of the like greece has the largest one of the largest police force in europe uh, per per capita and that means around 1 uh, 570 policemen have every uh, 100,000 inhabitants and in the last few years there have been new corps like dias or drasi that are these like infamous uh, motorcycle squads. Uh, There have been new corps that have been for the... uh, to deal with demonstrations. And especially since 2003, uh, special guards have been uh, uh, enrolled as a second level police. And that means that Special Guard don't do don't are not recruited through the same standardized national examination, but are recruited on the basis of the still compulsory mili- military service that there is in Greece. So it's becoming even more uh, an army, a military force, even more than it was before, and especially here this is problematic because the army has been. Historically, the stronghold of of fascism and of uh, far-right values.
0: You point out that this Mitsotakis government has steadily carried on a series of countrywide evictions of squats and social centers. How big had these movements become before the crackdown? Was this movement growing? And more importantly, because I don't think people here in the United States know, why are these squats and social centers needed?
2: Okay uh the squatting and social center movement here in Greece had grown a lot since the uh the crisis in uh, 2008 and through squats but through a lot of different solidarity initiatives uh cities in uh, in Greece had managed to uh Provide a response to the austerity measures that came after two thousand and eighteen, and that meant self-managed housing, but also self-managed health service, uh, self-managed food provision. It was uh, since two thousand and eighteen there was a a real experiment in like creating an alternative. Uh, Society in some part of Athens in some part of Greece, and since two thousand and let's say seventeen eighteen this movement has been uh, let's say reducing in number it 's been anyway like a, a decade of experiences and once this government arrived in the first three months, it raided and evicted dozens of squats here in uh, Here in Athens and this squad provided housing for hundreds if not thousands of people Uh, they arrived in Athens since 2019 these were like all the self-managed housing project for uh, for migrants and of which only a couple remain at the moment in Athens and also the government attacked all the um, anarchist and left libertarian uh, social centers in the city and in the major big cities in the, in the country.
0: So why does the government oppose these squats and these uh, social centers so much? They're, they're providing services for citizens that the government cannot or, or is not su- uh, supplying right now. They're giving people services like health services that in the midst of a collapsing health system in Greece. So why would the government oppose these squats if they're providing the social services that the government cannot provide?
2: Well, this is part of like the cultural war of this of this government. And I mean, it's like symbolic that most of the action of the government can be seen uh, through this lens of like his idea of what is like in Greek is called anomia, that is lawlessness. And so all the action of uh, this government are uh, to clean Greece from what is considered lawlessness, and that means what is not complacent with the government indications and the government policies, what is attempting to show uh, a different way of organizing, a different way to respond to the crisis first, to the migration uh, waves from, uh, from Syria and the Middle East later, or also to the pandemic now. And this has been like a very um, a strong part of like the actions and also of the electoral campaign of the of the government. Like getting rid of the scum, literally, that was part of the of the program.
0: So you uh, write that on March 7th in the district of Neas Smyrny near Athens, one of the many incidents of unprovoked police violence took place. Mobility restrictions due to the pandemic are giving police free reign for abuse, spreading fear among the population. You touch on this a little bit in, uh, ear- earlier, but how do mobility restrictions lead to abuse by police?
2: Okay, uh, uh, just like to give some perspective, lockdown in, uh, in Greece... It's going on since the very beginning of November. This is the second lockdown after the first in spring. And it means that people cannot leave their house if they don't send uh, an SMS to a state number explaining the reason why they leave the house. And individual movement is the more policed uh Part of the of the lockdown measures, and this is enforced still now. then now maybe with the change of season, and also like after the uh, what you were saying happened in Nasmyrn, and, and we will touch on it. Uh, the level of enforcement has been a bit reduced by still enforcement, and an infringement carries carry uh, goes on with hundreds of euros of fines. And and this has created uh, a tabula rasa like a um a big help for the police to carry on uh, checks all over the cities, all over town, and these checks are supposedly random, but as it happens no, only here they are not. And obviously if you are no white, you are targeted a lot more than if you are than than if you are. And in Asmirni it happened that uh one one young man that was uh, in the in the square saw the police harassing some families, threatening them with fines because they were taking out the children on a sunny days and politely intervened. And he was brutally beaten up by some of these motorcycle squad policemen. And it was recorded on video and the video went viral. And on the same day and on the following days, uh, hundreds and up to 10,000 of people in the first few days, uh, demonstrated in the in the neighborhood. And Neasmirni is no Exarchia. It's not like the central the central neighborhood of Athens. It's like a very residential neighborhood. And a lot of locals people took to the street. A lot of activists from a lot, from all around the city. A lot of hooligans participated also to the protest, and. The protests were extremely tense. Uh, They ended up in clashes with the police. And and yeah, and this was something that was uh, definitely not expected. Uh, And this was maybe the first uh, large response to police brutality in a long time here.
0: And you write that mainstream media represented the events as an episode of urban guerrilla warfare with headlines like 30 protesters attack the police. You also point out that what the mainstream media did not expect was the video of the beating going viral on social networks starting an online campaign to hashtag boycott Greek media. Hundreds of locals took the streets with many supporting and cheering from their balconies calls to reclaim the street have been launched on a daily basis since then sometimes turning into tense confrontations with riot police so what impact do you think the anti austerity social movements that had sprung up with squats and migrant centers and social centers and filling and filling in where the greek government no longer provides social services what do you think the impact of that movement dating back to 2008 uh, has had on the current protests
2: well, the impact is strong, like it's strong, but it's also these last protests, maybe uh, some symbolizes a kind of a change uh, where it's not anymore like the uh, stronghold of that 10 year uh, movement to see the, the to, to, to be the, the locus of the, of the mobilization by his different, is taking different forms. And for sure, uh, this has been an important message also for the very Greek activists that has been, uh, you know, doing things and resisting to this in the past government in the last few years, after a few months and a few years of like, of reflux, of, of ebb. Of the movement, and especially the way in which these protests were portrayed by media is like the most clear example of the status of like media here in this country. And with COVID nineteen, uh, the situation has gone even worse because the government has taken uh, state TV under the direct control of the prime minister office and the government has handed out uh, millions of euros in um, uh, help for the pandemic to friendly media. And this has created uh, a number of internet press and TV channels uh, that only published the uh, version of the police or of the government for everything that happened in, uh, in Greece. And the campaign to boycott Greek media has been uh, swelling on, uh, on the Internet, on social media, on Twitter, on Facebook, publishing a dozen of instances of uh, police brutality that would have otherwise gone unreported. And among these there is uh, the video of uh, police on motorbikes going around during one of these demonstrations in Neazmirni uh, pointing uh, guns to the, a gun against demonstration against demonstrator, and with uh, mainstream media telling saying that there wasn't a gun but was just a glove, despite having videos and photos proving otherwise. Uh, with policemen shouting, we'll kill you all to the uh, to the demonstrators in Nelsmierny still and uh, mainstream media saying, subtitling the audio uh, saying that is the demonstrators that were saying, oh, we are going to kill you to the policemen. And all these small uh, instances that seems almost laughable make for a very uh, dangerous um, mindset of the government that believes that everything can go uh, unpunished. And the impunity of the police is, in fact, uh, total at the moment. Uh, we're still, we still, w- just after this protest, the uh, interior ministry, that here is called Citizen Protection Minister, Ministry, uh, published a document with 45 truths about the police violence, in which he substantially says that there is no an increase in police violence, but there is only an increase in complaint, faith, false complaints about it.
0: Here's how this is being covered here in the United States. On ABC World News Tonight, they reported the protests this past Friday this way. Faced with a surge in coronavirus infections and a wave of violent anti-government demonstrations, Greece's center-right prime minister accused political opponents of exploiting lockdown fatigue. To what extent is the opposition exploiting the pandemic for their own political advantage? And more importantly... Who is exploiting the pandemic more, the right-wing government or the leftist opposition?
2: Uh, the right-wing government is blaming uh, anarchists, migrants, and the left opposition for almost everything that happened uh, in the country, also as if they are more or less the same thing. And But it's the framework, the context of... Uh, COVID-19 has given the government the best gift, gift it could have, because it has allowed for a restriction of uh, individual and collective freedoms and for uh, the passing, almost unnoticed, unnoticed on, of new laws against uh, gatherings and demonstration last summer, in uh, July 2020, uh, used uh, they were passed as part of like the anti-COVID, anti-pandemic uh, measures, but they were actually targeting uh, political demonstration, political gatherings, and so it's been like the framework that has uh, surrounded all the policies of the government in this matter, but also, and maybe even more uh, against people on the move, against migrants, especially for people living in uh, camps, in refugee camps around uh, the Greek island the Greek mainland. Lockdown has lasted exponentially more, like weeks, months more than for the Greek citizens. Means that camps were closed. Uh, entry and exit was limited, and still is in some of these camps, one year and a month after the beginning of this pandemic. And so definitely, like this government has had this massive uh, gift for turning even more towards uh, authoritarianism, thanks to the pandemic.
0: You also point out that the prime minister has appealed to the country's youth, revealing the generational dimension of the conflict. He asked them to keep calm and not to nurture hate in order to cover personal shortcomings, reiterating that he will ensure security, unity and well-being of the nation against those who want to divide the society and bring it back to the past. So how much is this uprising about a generational divide in Greece? Is this old people versus young people or is that an oversimplification?
2: No, there is definitely an uh, an oversimplification. The conflicts are expanding to different sectors of society, and there has been a response to the uh, to the widespread use of social media to to criticize the the government and. It came also with a a proposal to limit uh, digital freedom, like saying that social media were the real problem of Greek societies, Greek society. And instead, it's like this attempt to hide the real degree of the conflict and hide it and turn it into a generation generational conflict is a way to uh, turn away from uh, the real problems that this moment, as I was saying earlier, has extended to the health service, to uh, public transport, to a, a series of different struggles that uh, are, have been going on undercurrent for the last. Few months, a
0: few, an year. You also I move my microphone. Look at that. Uh, you mentioned a video from Disinfo Collective where a policeman is seen throwing a Molotov cocktail at demonstrators. Thanks to this, now the accusation of torture will be taken to the EU Commission. Has that moved forward? And have any other complaints been taken up with the EU?
2: Uh, that hasn't moved forward. As usually, these take these uh, complaints with EU institutions uh, take years and years but there have been even more um, complaints also regarding the torture of Aris uh, Papa, Papa Zachar Rudakist uh, that has been uh, arrested during the demonstration in Nazmirny and has been kidnapped for two days, taken into the central uh, headquarters of the police, beaten up, tortured, and threatened uh, with being thrown down from the from the 12th floor of the building. And there have been other reports of brutality and uh, violence, also sexual violence against one girl that was the same Demonstration, and these uh, the reports keeps keeps coming out. There are groups like Disinfo that are doing uh, an amazing job at uh, responding to police version on the on these on these events, and other groups like uh, Forensic Architecture they are doing. The same thing uh, regarding two killing that took place in uh, March last year on the uh, Greek-Turkish border where two people have died. And they have demonstrated through months-long researches that have died from bullets that came from the Greek side of the border. And still, Greek authorities brand these as... Turkish propaganda and fake news and the problem of one of the problem of Greece is exactly this uh, almost alternative reality in which authorities live and want the country to live where everything that is said against government policies is fake news and because we live in Greece, and there is this like never-ending conflict uh, with Turkey, that now has been kind of like re-heightened for uh, extraction interest in the in the Eastern Mediterranean. Everything becomes Turkish propaganda, and it works for for migration and works for any protest or any voice that criticizes the. The government of the, of, of the country
0: You mentioned the uh, country's conservative oligarchy In the best tradition, Prime Minister Mitsotakis is the heir of one of the big political families of the country Uncle of the current mayor of Athens Brother of a past mayor Son of a prime minister Grandson of a member of parliament And descendant <laughs> of the ethnarch Eleftherios Venizelos. And Ethnarch is the leader of an ethnic group. What was the what was what is the ethnic group that Mitsotakis believes he represents because here in the United States, you know, we don't understand the different multi-ethnicity that occurs in Greece. So what is the ethnicity that he, you know, believes is superior, believes it should be the privileged supreme uh ethnicity in the in Greece?
2: I mean, um Greece, as uh, southern Europe in general, is struggling to recognize uh, the transformation in uh, in the country's population that have taken place over the last decades now, and and so Mitsotakis represents that white men oligarchy uh, made of. Uh, the naval industry that here is like the most powerful but everything is represented as an attack to the Greekness of the country so to all these like now is a a mythical tradition a mythical uh, interpretation of like the history of what Greek, what Greece was and is, and this can be seen particularly in these last few weeks because on March twenty-five, twenty-fifth, uh, Greece has celebrated the two-hundredth anniversary of the Greek Revolution, and all the celebrations um, against, like the revolution against the Ottoman Empire of 200 years ago, turned into a revamping of xenophobic and anti-Turkish uh, sentiments. And it's kind of symbolic that the only um, celebration that was allowed in the city of Athens was a military uh, parade with those dozen of aeroplanes Going of like military planes going through the skies of the cities, tanks and uh, armored cars going through the main roads till the center, and that was the only uh, the only uh, allowed celebration uh, of this kind. <laughs>
0: One last question for you. We have been speaking with Giulio Dorico. He is co-author of the Roar Magazine article, Resisting Greece's Rapid Descent into Authoritarianism, which he co-wrote with Giovanni Miranda. We want to thank listener George for suggesting we feature Giulio and Giovanni's work on the show. You can again find the article at Roar Magazine. One last question for you, Giulio. And as we do with all of our guests, our final question is what we call... The question from hell, the question we may hate to ask, you may hate to answer, our audience may hate your response. Why do you believe the European Union tolerates a member moving toward, if not becoming like a military junta? Because they didn't seem too happy to have a leftist government in power in Greece who wanted to renegotiate the country's debt. So why is the EU, what does it tell you about the EU when they don't seem to... Mind that a right wing government has taken uh shape that it is moving towards fascism doesn't seem to mind to be working with Turkey and uh, in their fa- move towards fascism as well. what does that tell you about the European Union when they seem to tolerate fascism, but any step towards socialism seems like it will not be tolerated
2: well that tells me and I think you should tell everybody that the European Union is a union that is built on, uh, is built on, right, uh, on illiberal policies, The the whole uh, defense of like European values has been shattered years and years ago. It's kind of like, um, it's interesting to see like in 1969, when there was the junta year. Uh, the European Union through Greece. Uh, it wasn't the European Union, but like the predecessor of the European Union through Greece out of the European Council. It was called like that. This now will never happen. This will never happen because the European Union is able to point out uh, the failures in democracy, in uh, m- m- member countries only if this country don't play a crucial role and is the case maybe of Hungary that now has been reported to the European Court, court of Justice and uh, there are series of measures being taken uh, against Orban and uh, the government. But Greece is playing such an important role, especially in the migration policy of Europe and the border policy of the continent that is what is linking the and maintaining the European Union together that it will never ever uh, criticize the activities of the government and will as it happened as it's happening will keep actually financing all of these activities and securing the consensus of all of Europe.
0: Julio, this is fantastic writing. I'm really glad that we had you on the show. Thanks to listener George for suggesting we have you and Giovanni's work on our show. Uh, This really is fantastic work, and our listeners should check out your article again at Roar Magazine called Resisting Greece's Rapid Descent into Authoritarianism. Thanks so much for being on our show.
2: Well, thanks so much for having me.
0: Take care. Live from late capitalism, where we know the price of everything, but the value of nothing... This is Hell. Alex, please remind us, what is this week's question from Hell? And tell us how our listeners are answering so far.
1: This week's question from Hell is, what have you been right about this whole time? What have you been right about this whole time? <laughs> Titus A. says, everything. <laughs> Laura, uh, Laura E. says, I'm really a ghost. Benjamin C. says, the best theme song ever is from The Greatest American Hero. <laughs> I think whoever wrote the theme song to uh, The Littlest Hobo might have a problem with that. <laughs> <laughs> littlest Hobo. Darren S. says, For whom the bell tolls? (laughs) What have you been right about this whole time? What have you been right about this whole time? Fabio L. says, All my questions from hell answers ever. (laughs) Chandler H. says, Biden. Clay G. says, That neoliberalism is effed. Ronaldo Ronaldo M. said, That accordion music is sexy. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Adam A. says, The police are the army of the rich. Climate collapse is here, now... And mayonnaise is the real white devil. (laughs) People coming through some terrible opinions in this one. Uh, Is that all you got for now? Uh, One more. Chase C says, much to my chagrin, absolutely nothing. (laughs) I think it's all that squeezing that's going
0: on with the accordion. I think that's the part that makes... Ronaldo think it's sexy Again the question mail is What have you been right about this whole time The person with our favorite answer to this week's question Wins your choice Whatever This Is Hell merchandise you want You can see all of our merchandise right now By going to thisishell.com and clicking on support You can leave your answer to this week's question mail or our Facebook page You can tweet it to us You can email it to us But we have to have your answer to this week's question From hell by the end of Thursday's show It's time for nasty, gnarly, nauseous, naughty, nerdy Icky, drippy, sticky, goopy, gloppy, globby Gory, rotten history in Rotten History, April thirteenth, nineteen 1906 150, 115 years ago this Tuesday It was Good Friday in Springfield, Missouri And two young white residents uh-oh. When white people show up in Rotten History, it's never good Especially when Rinaldo describes them as white people That's really scary Two young white residents, Charles Cooper and Mina Edwards Went to the police to report an assault and rape by two young black men Wearing masks, see I told you it's never good. The police quickly arrested two African-American railway workers and jailed them on suspicion with no evidence because that's what you do on Good Friday in 1906 Springfield, Missouri. You unjustly arrest and detain non-white people. It's kind of the thing to do. The railway workers' names were Horace Duncan and Fred Coker. Their white employer gave them a Ford. Huh? came forward to vouch for them and provided an alibi. But an angry crowd was gathering outside the county jail. Remember, the next time you are confronting a mob, mobs do not care about evidence. The police feared a riot and decided to keep Duncan and Coker in custody for their own safety, or at least they thought. By the next day, April 14th, the ever-growing mob was yelling for Duncan and Coker to be hanged and burned. And later that evening, they were. The mob broke into the jail, seized the two men, dragged them to the town square, and hanged them from a tower supporting a statue of the Goddess of Liberty, which was likely an irony that was lost on every white person in town for generations. They also grabbed a third black prisoner while they were at it in the jail, named Will Allen. He had nothing to do with Duncan and Coker, but the mob hanged him too, because being black a hundred years ago was a capital offense. Then the mob burned all three bodies in a bonfire built with old wooden boxes and whiskey barrels, which I have a horrible image of lots of people standing around and enjoying the fire. The smoldering remains were still there the following day, Easter Sunday, and nothing celebrates the life and resurrection of Jesus Christ like murdering the innocent. On Monday, Mina Edwards said that Coker and Duncan were not the men who had raped her after all, and in the days and weeks that followed, four white men were arrested for their involvement in the lynching, but none were convicted. Surprise, surprise. Most of Springfield's black residents left town as fast as they could. I know I would. Some simply abandoning their homes and businesses. Meanwhile, small pieces of the dead man's charred physical remains were made into souvenir trinkets, which were sold in Springfield and around the country. Now that's racist Not only do you commit a lynching But you profit off of it As there is an actual supply of And demand for pieces of a lynched man's corpse As souvenirs But within a few years The lynching became a taboo subject (laughs) Really? In 2094 years after the event The great-granddaughter of one man Who had taken part in the lynching Asked the Springfield City Council To consider making a formal public apology And erecting a Historical plaque to the victims Mayor Lee Ganaway Rejected her request Calling it, quote, totally absurd But a plaque was finally erected In 2019 Yes, there's nothing more absurd than recognizing The horrific history of lynchings of African Americans In the United States Oh wait, yes there is You know what's more absurd? Not recognizing lynchings occurred And living in a false reality of American exceptionalism Now that's absurd And that's rotten history And this is hell Alex, please tell us who is on tomorrow's Tuesday show, also beginning at 10 a.m. Central Time.
1: Uh, Real excited to have Kevin Waite, historian Kevin Waite, on to talk about his book that I've been looking forward to for a while from UNC Press called West of Slavery, The Southern Dream of a Transcontinental Empire. Are you getting a cold? You sound like you got something going on there. Uh, Yeah, I'm in the point where I... uh Sneeze like seventy-five times a day from allergies. Oh, for the next really? Three months. That's what it is. Sorry about Testing that. Testing the soundproofing in this room over here, uh, and then on on Wednesday. Wednesday, uh, Lala Khalili will be back on the show. Really excited to uh, have her on. Talk about her Noema piece. I guess. Uh, yeah, I'm guessing too. You, you say it confidently <laughs> enough, people maybe won't look up how to actually pronounce it. It's got that little, the little. Uh, Line over the E. Yeah, now, Eva, long E. Yeah. Uh, talk about her piece, Apocalyptic Infrastructures, for infrastructure to serve the public and steward the world's air, water, and soil for future generations... It has to be planned through more open, egalitarian, environmentally militant processes.
0: And Lale was on our show back in May of last year. You might remember her being on the show, talk about her book, War and Trade, Shipping and Capitalism in the Arabian Peninsula, which we named as one of our favorite books to be featured here on This Is Hell in 2020. So you can go search on Khalili and you can find that interview as well because it really is fantastic. She's really great on it. And thanks to Robert for suggesting Lale be back on our show. And what about on Thursdays? Uh, Still working on it. Except we do have Jeff, correct? I believe so. Are we ever going to find out about that legal situation he was Uh, in? You can ask. (laughs) Do you really want to open that can of worms? I'm your Bitter Blind Broke Gaptooth Radio Show podcast live stream host, Chuck Mertz. Producing today's show is Alex Jerry. Thanks to Julio Alex. Thanks to Richard Norwood for fixing this table. Thanks to Ronaldo Magaldi for Rotten History. This week's hangover cure is sweet potatoes. We told you so. This is is hell my demon is on my butt
2: Uh. my demon talks to me in profanity like a seller Uh and my demon tries to knock me down and my demon tries to put me on a hell ride
1: thank you for listening to this is hell for more interview hell and to support the show visit thisishell.com